This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Joining me today is Ringer staff writer Zach Cram. Hello. So we're going to split this show up into two segments because the Soviet energy ministry has declared that Zach's takes are so hot. How hot are they, Zach? They are so hot that it's unsafe to expose more than one person to them at a time. So Ben's going to join me a little bit later in the show, uh, but we're going to for the first half of the show, resurrect a segment from our brief preview back in March, back in the before times, back in the antediluvian era, uh, where Zach is going to bust open the Pulp Fiction briefcase and uh, show me what's glowing inside. So that was a lot of metaphor. Thank you for the lead in, Mike. These are half takes. Uh, The last time we brought out the half takes, I think the season shut down a day later. So hopefully we are not tempting fate yeah, I did. We didn't think about that. <laughs> Should we have considered the fact that these takes could literally shut down the season? Too late for that. We have some takes to get to. And the first half take, as a reminder of how these work, I am going to offer a take I kind of half believe. And then Michael, who has no idea what's coming, is going to react and we will debate uh, the the reasonable or the possibility uh, that these takes will manifest. Number one, the Los Angeles Angels will finish with a top two offense in the American League and still miss the playoffs. So you know that Dylan Bundy's good now, right? I do know that Dylan Bundy is good. I also know that the Angels are currently number three in the American League in WRC+. That is Fangraph's advanced batting statistic that adjusts for things like home ballpark. I also know that the Angels lead the American League in home runs. And that is without Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, who have both missed some time. The Angels are also just 7-11 and 11 right now. They are not currently in the playoff picture. Yeah, I... So the, the thing about doing hot takes about the Angels is that they are uh, one of those teams where you could tell me just about anything and I would believe it. And so, you know, you look at this, this roster, I... The, the part of this I almost have trouble believing is that they're going to finish top top two in offense in by the end of the season because like obviously Trout's missed a little bit of time Otani's missed a little bit of time but like even by Trout standards I think Trout might be overperforming a little bit uh you know Max Stassi is not going to OPS a thousand plus uh for for the rest of the season I I almost see the see fall off potential with this offense am I crazy for thinking that I think a little bit just because, well, one silver lining of the only silver lining of Shohei Otani's injury is now he gets to hit every day. And I think it's funny that you say that Trout is overperforming his usual standards. Trout currently has a lower WRC plus than he did in 2018. And that is because Trout, I think every night, basically, we're seeing another Trout home run highlight. But his walk and strikeout numbers are all out of whack this year. Right now, he is striking out uh, at his highest rate of his career and walking at by far the lowest rate of his career. And I think, I mean, I would expect that those numbers to converge a little bit. So even if his power lessens, 
you know, a smidge, I think he's still this good a hitter, if not better. Yeah, that's it's probably true. I think I'm looking at the the baseball reference numbers and not not fan graphs. And so like OPS plus will overrate slugging percentage, for instance. Um, that might be might be the case. I I don't know. I I almost want you to stretch more. I'll be completely honest. Like, well, you want to hear my next one? Because this yeah, one's let's stretching go. a little bit more. Okay. okay, let's stretch. Take number two. Fernando Tatis Jr., who is probably uh, the most valuable player in baseball thus far. Good. I, think, I like it so far. I think he will go 2020 this year, home runs and stolen bases. And that I, might not sound outlandish, but if you do the conversion rate, that is the equivalent of 54 home runs and 54 stolen bases in a season. If you want to go the other way and think what 40-40 would be, that's a 15-15 season. And I think it's going to go 2020. I like that. I So he's already at eight home runs. He's already at five stolen bases. He hasn't been caught yet. I think this is... The the thing that stands out to me about Tatis, and I don't know how much of the public imagination about him is uh, is grounded in this, is he is one of the most aggressive base runners I have ever seen. He, like, Bill James once said this about Alberto Griffin, that he would just run until the base in front of him is occupied. I see, and it's it stands out more because Tatis is so big, but he takes so many chances. He's such an aggressive base runner. And the the Padres are, you know, it's not just him. You know, Tommy Pham has five stolen bases. They're letting their guys run a little bit, which I like for, just from a, a managerial standpoint. Having anybody get to 20 stolen bases in this season is probably going to be a, a tough ask, but I, I like this one better um, just because, like, I can, I can see it. And it's not... And getting to 20, obviously, in, in 60 games is a lot easier than getting to 54 in 162 because all it takes, like, you know, I don't think Tatis is a true talent 50 home run hitter, but he's absolutely got enough power that he could get hot and hit on that pace for for a little while. So I think having him get up to that uh, to that lead in, um, in home runs, he's obviously ahead of the pace a little bit. Uh, I think that helps. Getting to, to 20 stolen bases will be tough, but you know, I, I think 15-15 is absolutely within the realm of possibility. And you know, given how much weirdness can can happen in a season this short, yeah, 2020 is it's unlikely, but I think it's definitely possible. Yeah, to place it in a little bit of context, we have had four 40-40 guys before, none since Alfonso Soriano. We have never had a 45-45 guy before, let alone 50-50. So you know, shorter season caveat aside, this would be completely unprecedented. Tatis at the moment is on pace for 27 homers and 17 stolen bases. And I think one of the reasons that stolen base total could rise is if he stops hitting so many homers and trades those for singles, then he'll get on base to steal. And I think what's so appealing to me about specifically the stolen base stat for Tatis is exactly what you said, that running and stolen bases specifically are more a result of just effort than any other statistic. Like you don't hit more home runs because you try to hit more home runs. You steal more stolen, you steal more bases because you try to steal more bases. And the Padres are clearly letting their players run. Fam and Tatis are tied for the major league lead. And I think more than anything, Tatis just has a green light whenever he reaches first. You know, uh, this was, I forget who I was watching. I think it was the the Blue Jays game last night. They were talking about, they were making essentially the same point, but they brought up that the year Ricky Henderson stole 130 bases, he got caught 42 times. Like it's just it, it big stolen base totals are, are really are just like you said, a matter of, of want to. My question is as the season develops, does that green light go away as they're worried about him making outs on the bases ahead of a, uh, ahead of a, a really, a really indomitable slugger like Jake Cronenworth? I mean, you make that. I, I understand you're saying that just to make the Jake Cronenworth joke, but if he doesn't get caught, then he's not making any outs. That's true. I mean, so <laughs> okay. So here's the here's the plan: keep running and don't get caught. That's the yeah. the path to to twenty stolen bases. All right, I like that one. That one is that one is uh, I think close enough to attainable to be enticing, while still stretching it enough to to be bold. I and obviously. What do baseball fans love more right now than rooting for Fernando Tatis Jr.? I I don't know if there's a a more entertaining like it's a a matter of I think exposure for him to be maybe the biggest star in the game. You know, see to to get to that level where um you know 
it looked like Carlos Correa was going to take that leap for for a while, or you know, Bryce Harper's been close, uh, Francisco Lindor's been close. Uh, he might be that, just that all encompassing superstar that uh, um, that baseball has seemingly been been waiting for. I've, and I've been like the the Padres and Dodgers. I I want them to play every single night for the rest of the season. I, it's it's great baseball. So so number three. Uh, is going to swerve a little bit. We talked about Mike Trout. We talked about Fernando Tatis Jr. Now let's talk about uh, Cleveland's outfield, uh, which has been very bad this year. They are hitting a combined 142, 266, 205. That is good for a 37 WRC plus, 63% worse than league average. So my half take is, of the the three main outfielders, every one of them on the Twins will out-homer Every Cleveland outfielder combined. Every Cleveland so, outfielder combined. Okay. So right now the scoreboard is Eddie Rosario has six. Max Kepler has five and Byron Buxton has three. Cleveland's outfielders combined also have three. Okay. So is this every single Cleveland outfielder or are you defining th- like, is it Luplo Mercado Santana or, or are you defining three specific ones? I'm defining every single through between the start and end of the season of everyone who is playing left center or right for Cleveland in a game. Okay. Right now they have only combined for three home runs. This is the one half take that you gave some advance warning. You said, you you said I should look up the, the Cleveland outfield situation, which um, frankly sounded like a threat, but yeah, this is, I mean, this has been a problem for, for Cleveland even when they were winning 100 games a year, even when they were going to the World Series, that they just seemingly picked three guys off the street to to play outfield. And I don't really know what informs that. You know, I don't know if if like they think that they're getting, you know, uh, by low guys and just missing from a scouting perspective, but they just haven't really had uh, any worthwhile outfielders for probably not literally since uh Albert Bell. I guess Michael Brantley was there for a while, but it's it's been a, a weak point and never more so than right now. <sighs> what gives me pause with this one is the possibility that like Byron Buxton could sneeze wrong and break a rib and miss the rest of the season. That is a concern. And, I don't know. Are we looking for they have three three home runs? So I guess that puts them on on pace for like eleven or twelve or maybe a little bit more than that. I that requires Buxton, Rosario and Kepler to all hit double digit home runs in a season where you said 20 home runs was the equivalent of 54. I don't I mean, I could definitely see it happening. I just don't think I I think Buxton is either going to not hit for enough power or not stay healthy long enough to do it. Um asking all three of those Twins outfielders to to reach that plateau, I think is is a bit much, which I guess is the point of this exercise, right? But if it was Rosario Kepler and like Nelson Cruz, then we could talk. But they're they're just like this is the the kind of proposition where I I think too many things need to to go a certain way. There are too many uh, uh, necessary provisions in this this logical chain. I think what this take more than anything else reflects is how how much more I believe in the Twins than Cleveland right now. Cleveland has the best pitching staff in baseball so far. I mean, when they're not sneaking out from the yeah. hotel, which I know <laughs> you'll talk about later, but Cleveland has had the best staff in baseball so far, and they're only 10 and 8, and that's because outside Lindor, Ramirez, and Santana, nobody is hitting. And I think the outfield has been a problem for several years, and I guess they brought in Domingo Santana, but he is not really helping. I don't think we expected him to do all that much, and Minnesota just has has the conga line that you talk about, even with Donaldson not hitting it and Mitch Garver not hitting it. I just believe in their offense is I I think they're going to score six runs every night. Yeah. And I don't even know if this sets up for like an interesting styles make fights type first round playoff series, because I I'm I'm looking at this this Cleveland rotation. I guess like their whole thing, if if I'm going to say that their whole thing is having really terrible outfields, their whole thing is also creating ace level starting pitchers out of guys who nobody expected that from like Bieber or Clevenger. Um, I guess Carrasco was a a top prospect, but he was a a weird case. You know, I, I think it's, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I disbelieve in their lineup more than I believe in their starting rotation, particularly. Um, you know, you, you look at Brad, you know, Brad Hans had a, a little bit of a rough, rough go um, so far. And the, you know, they're going to, how many of these guys can they pull out of the ground if Plesak and, and Clevenger are sneaking out in the middle of the night? What does that do to, to clubhouse chemistry and so far as that matters? So, yeah, I don't know. We're, I, I mean, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit, but it's, I, I just, this is my, it's part of my ongoing frustration with this team is they have done so many of the hard things right. And they're going to end up finishing a little bit over 500 because the easy thing, like get a corner outfielder who can hit better than Oh 38, right. You know, like the Orioles can do that. And it's, it's going to be a, a huge hole in their roster. Um, and it's, you know, it could make, end up making the difference in the AL central. So, Speaking about the AL Central, I have saved my hottest, spiciest take for last. And that is that the Detroit Tigers will not only make the playoffs, but win a series. Okay. All right. I am. So before this season's bit uh, turned out to be some combination of Jake Cronenworth in the first place, Colorado Rockies, I w- my bit was going to be that the Tigers are going to have a top 10 pitching staff in baseball. And so far, the opposite has been true, that their pitching staff has been a little bit lackluster, but they're hitting, despite this being broadly similar to last year's team, which was one of the worst Major League offenses ever assembled. Um, I am prepared to go all in on on this Detroit Tigers team. We're going to just sneak preview. I'm going to talk about them with Ben a little bit later on, but but give me the 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 reasoning, you know, and I guess like how much of this is contingent on Mize and Manning coming up? Yeah, that was going to be my caveat. So first, just to to set the stakes, the Detroit Tigers uh, last season were, as you say, one of the worst teams we have ever seen. They finished 47 and 114. But this year, they're nine and six. And given both the expanded playoffs and the shortened season, that matters. That's a quarter of the way through the season. They are in second place. Uh, Fangraphs gives them 33% playoff odds. Baseball Prospectus has them at 40%. So that's decent. And like you say, Casey Mize and Matt Manning, their top two pitching prospects, are waiting. They have not been called up, but I think we're getting close to the point that the Tigers... Well, we're past the point that they should have called them up already, but we're getting close to the point where they will force themselves to be called up specifically because the Tigers will have a realistic playoff shot and adding two potentially elite pitchers is a way to get there. I think Spencer Turnbull is really good. Matt Boyd has not been good this year, but I think the the reason I am going past that the, they'll make the playoffs prediction to they'll actually win a series is in a best of three, which is what we'll get in the first round this year. Some rotation combination of Turnbull, Mize, Manning, and maybe a turned around Matt Boyd is really formidable and tough to deal with. I think their bullpen has some intriguing pitchers. Like, are you familiar with the work of Gregory Soto this year, Mike? I mean, I know he hasn't given up a run. I can't say that I am intimately familiar with his oeuvre. So why don't you enlighten me? In eight games, he has not given up a run. He has a strikeout rate of 36% and a walk rate of 3%. That is pretty darn good. And I think it's that kind of pitcher who just pops up out of nowhere uh, and then can combine with Mize and Manning to surprise a heavily favored team in the first round. I think there are so many steps that need to be taken before the playoffs actually arrive that we haven't really considered the possibility of a best of three, but best of three in baseball could get really, really strange. And I think the Tigers are one team poised to take advantage, uh, understand that they've had a pretty easy schedule so far. Their best hitter, CJ Crone, just went on the, the IL. So it's not like it's all fine in Detroit right now, but I think there's enough here that they're intriguing, and that was not necessarily the expectation coming into the season. Uh, Jacoby Jones is on fire. I don't know how long that'll keep up, but I believe, kind of like my my belief in the Marlins before this season, that if you replace really terrible hitters with at least capable hitters, like Jonathan Scope and Crone and Austin Romine uh, is now their catcher, these are all major league players, and I think that matters in raising the floor of the team. Yeah, I think... You know, the the one thing that you said that uh, 
sort of gave me pause about getting on board with this is their best hitter, CJ Crone, uh, which is sort of damning with faint praise. But yeah, I mean, like you said, it doesn't take a, a lot to make a team that was that bad offensively last year, like to to turn, you know, to turn the D minus or the F into a, into a C minus. And I think that in a three game series, that's all you need. I'll, I'll say this too. It's not even just Mize and Manning and some combination of Turnbull or, and frankly, like if you're going to give me over or under on a 920 ERA for Matt Boyd, you know, whether or not Matt Boyd's bat Boyd comes back, I'm taking the under on, on, uh, on that number. And they've got a, a couple of like, that's the thing with the, the Tigers is not just, uh, the talent at the top of their, um, at the top of their farm system. It's the depth of, of interesting young pitchers. Tyler Alexander has, uh, has pitched well so far as, as a rookie Kyle Funkhauser, former like potential top 10 pick at a, at a Louisville, like, uh, lost the ability to throw strikes is now up in the majors. They've got some guys who I think could be interesting, uh, maybe multi-inning uh, relief arms in a, a best of three or best of five uh, scenario. So, you know, I think that I wouldn't go so far as to to say like this is a poor man's raise where they just have so many different pitching looks they can throw at you that that it's going to be tough. But yeah, I like they've got a the the with the 16 team playoffs with the, the lead that they've already got on, on their expectations with the amount of, of high minors talent, you know, what happens if they decide to bring up Spencer Torkelson, for instance, at the the end of the season, if they decide that they're in it, the amount of, of reinforcements that they can bring in. I think that this is a very distinct possibility that we, we see them not only make the playoffs, but win around. And the point you made earlier about how the pitching hasn't performed that well actually gives me a little bit of optimism, strangely, because it's not like their pitchers are performing so over their their head that they're bound to fall back. Like if they replace Michael Fulmer's rotation spot, Michael Fulmer, who unfortunately, you know, has had a lot of injury problems. He has a six point three five ERA and only made it through five and two thirds innings and two starts. If they replace that spot with Casey Mize, that's a a major upgrade like there, right there. Matt Boyd will not continue to allow more than a run an inning. So I think there's still room to improve, even as they're already playing at such a better pace than they were last year. And I think that's a that's really an underrated point that I think people need to bear in mind as we're trying to draw conclusions from a really small sample size in this season, is you got to look not just at the record or at the numbers, but you got to look at the components and which ones you expect to get better and which ones you expect to drop off. And the Tigers are just sort of fluky across the board that I don't know that there's a single person on this um, on this roster. Maybe Nico Goodrum is the only guy who's actually playing about the way I would have expected him to. Um, but I, I think there's there's more upside with the pitching staff than there is downside with the lineup. So, and you know, they don't need to, to continue playing uh 600 ball for the rest of the season in order to make the playoffs. They could finish four or five games under 500 over the next 45 games and still make it into a playoff spot. And then with those arms, like they've got a puncher's chance. Just like you said, I think this is a, uh, a take that would have looked hotter three weeks ago. But I, I think you're you're on the money here. Excellent. I'm glad you believe it. Uh, I will remind people that my last hot takes uh, session included that the Marlins would not finish in last place in the NL East. And what is this? What like that's just is this a victory lap or is this a sucker punch? I'm just completely. I'm just saying they're oh, they're not ahead, only go ahead. Sorry, they're not yeah. only not in last place right now. They are currently in first place in the NL East. Uh, so who knows, maybe one out of these four will be proved correct and I will take my victory lap then. You always do. Zach Cram. Thanks for joining me. Uh, we'll be right back after, uh, after this quick break with Ben Lindbergh. Stay tuned. UFC 252 is coming up on August 15th, and there's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook. Right now, FanDuel Sportsbook has a special UFC 252 offer for new users. Just sign up with my code RINGERMLB, and you'll get exclusive 25 to 1 odds on Cormier versus Miacic to win the, their title fight at UFC 252. That means you can pick either fighter to win and bet just $5 for a chance to win $125. 
FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sports betting site for a reason. They've got a simple, intuitive app that makes it easy to find the bet you're looking for, then lock it in. And unlike other sportsbooks, once you win, FanDuel gets you your cash in as little as 24 hours. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. But right now, the right thing for you to do is download FanDuel Sportsbook and check out their fantastic app for yourself. Just be sure to use my promo code RINGERMLB to claim your exclusive 25 to 1 odds on Cormier versus Miacic at UFC 252. Remember, that's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code RINGERMLB. 21 and over and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, or Colorado. New users only. Max bonus $125. Minimum $10 first deposit required. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. And we're back, and joining me now is uh, veteran podcaster, Mr. Chalk, Ringer staff writer, Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how you doing? I'm okay. Here to bring some sanity back to this discussion now that Zach has gone off the handle. Yeah, uh, you were not happy with with Zach's lack of moderation in his takes, as Bobby and I were telling you, uh, some of the the outrageous things that he's predicting. I was grooming him to be my successor as the most moderate voice in baseball media. And somewhere along the way, he started chasing podcast clout. I don't even know him anymore. It's he's this has been a this has been a big, uh, you know, big period of growth for young cram dog. He's really blossomed into <laughs> I was going to say come into his own. But like you said, this is not the the guy we knew last season. I think no. he's uh, he, but you know, I can't call him my protege anymore. He's uh, wow. he's he's broken the mold. He's grown a new set of wings. I look forward to seeing how high he can fly. You have disowned your ward. <laughs> his, uh, his... I've taught okay. him all I could. Now he's teaching me. This is the uh, the the source of the schism in this episode of the show. <laughs> yeah, See, we couldn't be on the same segment together. So I don't have a segue for this, so I'm just going <laughs> to jump in. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals have apparently stopped testing positive for coronavirus and are now on pace to play 55 games in 41 days between now and the end of the season. Uh, Ben, your thoughts? It's progress, I guess, sadly, that they can actually perhaps take the field sometime soon, Friday even, if all goes well. And I I just don't think there's any way that they can make up all the games that they miss. The season's just not long enough to do that. And when you factor in how long they've been off, I mean, Zach, uh, Zach Cram Cy Young Award pick, Jack Flaherty, has not pitched since opening day. It's been almost three weeks. You can't just take three weeks off and come back at full strength. So they've got to give those guys time to work out and build up a little bit of strength, which, as we've seen with every other pitcher who's gotten hurt this season, can't really happen in that amount of time. So I would worry a little bit about them coming back from this layoff and the rust that they must have accumulated because they haven't been able to practice. They haven't been able to throw. So it's great that they're getting back on the field, but I just don't know how they can possibly get up to speed and be at the same sort of speed as all the teams that have been active during this whole long layoff. Yeah. And as daunting as 55 and 41 looks, it's that also assumes no further outbreaks within the central pod that would impact the Cardinals schedule, no off days and also no rainouts. And Ben, I know you're, you're a, uh, an East coast, uh, coastal elitist, but it rains in Missouri in the summer sometimes. So, so it's not like out of the question that yeah. they could need to to play more than what would this be 14, 15 double headers. I just don't see any way to to make up this schedule. And you know, and when when asked about this, Rob Manfred said, I don't know how serious this was if he expected this to this utterance to turn into policy. Uh, but to just go by by winning percentage, if no team or if if a team can't make all all sixty of its games, that just you know it's it's obviously an imperfect situation. Uh, I don't know if that would if that would give the Cardinals an advantage or put them at a disadvantage given the layoff you mentioned. I just don't see. I you know I don't have a better idea. 
No, and Manfred said that barring further setbacks, he foresees the Cardinals being able to play a credible number of games. He did not specify what credible would be. He never really specifies anything, which gives him an out. I think the bar for credibility is fairly low this season. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty incredible to begin with. All of the strange rules, the new playoff format, the opt-outs, the teams being sidelined for weeks at a time. I can understand if they get to, I don't know, what is credibility to you? I mean, if most teams complete their schedule and get to 60 games, how many games would the Cardinals have to play for you to say, yeah, okay, sure, we can count this as the same competition? Oh, well, in the the best tradition of Rob Manfred, I'm going to say that I'm going to wait until I see who wins the World Series and then work <laughs> backwards from there to determine whether the season is credible or legitimate or not. Right. It's just uh, a so, hunk of metal anyway, that trophy, as Rob Manfred has let us know. <laughs> Speaking of, nope, that's, <laughs> I was going to say hunks, but no, we're not going there. Um for your birthday one year, I'm just going to get you a, a supercut of all of the, <laughs> all the, the, all the segues that you bailed, that you bailed halfway through. I can hear the gears turning as you project what the rest of the segue just, will sound like. It's just, can you smell the smell oil burning? In the, oh boy! <laughs> yeah. So as disastrous as that. Uh, is that abortive segue was here's another disaster. Uh, Mike Clevenger and Zach Plezak have been caught breaking, uh, breaking quarantine protocol for, uh, for Cleveland. They've been both been placed on the, uh, restricted list. Both of them at some point earlier this summer have, uh, have preached about the importance of, of sticking to the rules. And both of them were, were caught sneaking out of the team hotel to, to go out. It's, uh, you know, I think it's encouraging that Cleveland's taking this seriously enough to essentially uh, skip a start for two really good pitchers. Uh, you know, what do you what do you make of this situation? Yeah, and what happened with Clevenger? I mean, he failed to come forward even after the Plesac news came out. So they went out together reportedly, and Plesac that came out, and he was sent home. And Clevenger didn't say, okay, yeah, I, <laughs> you got me. I was with him until somehow that news came out. We don't know exactly how the team determined that he was out with them, but he just let everyone believe that he was not involved. And he took a trip with the team and he was around the team. And so both bad, but that's far worse, right? I mean, if the, the guy you were with gets caught, and get sent home, then I feel like you have to own up to it at that point because, A, you're just endangering your teammates and Carlos Carrasco, who's at risk, right? But also, if your friend took his lumps, then I feel like it's even a, a bigger betrayal, really, of the team to not say anything because then how can they trust you after that? Yeah, my my reaction uh, was actually this is going to shock you. My reaction was a lot more cynical than that. Uh, <laughs> like coming out against other people doing stuff that you're also doing, knowing that there's a, a high probability that, uh, that you can get caught is a time honored tradition among pro athletes. Like yeah. it's, you know, it like if anything, the amount of athletes with their backs up about the Astros sign stealing thing, given particularly like guys like Joe Kelly, who played on the Red Sox while they were accused of doing something similar, like there have been accusations against the Yankees, the Dodgers against Cleveland. And we've seen players on those teams get really huffy about it when they're but for the grace of God, like you get caught, too. I think that. I don't know what motivates that rhetorical impulse, but it's it's been there among athletes since, uh, you know, ever since we started tracking off field behavior. And so, you know, I'm I'm not really that surprised by by Clevenger's impulse. I think the other thing is this is important. Like, obviously, it's important that that MLB create and enforce strict protocols and the players, insofar as it's possible, uh, adhere to them, but. I think this is also sort of like the millennials can't afford houses because they spend all their money on avocado toast thing. Like mm -hmm. there's a limit to how much personal responsibility will be your salvation in this, in this scenario. So, which is, you know, not to, to say that these guys don't deserve to be publicly shamed for, uh, for acting like knuckleheads, but yeah, you know, there, there are forces outside their control at play. And so it, you know, if, if, uh, 
if there is, God forbid, an outbreak uh, in the Cleveland clubhouse or among one of their opponents, um, you know, we have convenient fall guys now. I just think the the situation's probably a little more complicated. So, you know, it's I think it's a there's nuance here that I think gets lost if it's just look at these two knuckleheads or, or look at uh, at how seriously Cleveland's taking this situation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't shock me that a couple of young or young-ish pro athletes in their 20s would prove to be incorrigible and not be bound by curfew. And we've seen some players play fast and loose, either reportedly or have rumored to have done that. But that was sort of before they tightened the restrictions and before everyone kind of got more serious about it. And so I think now if you do that, you're going to go home for a while. You're not going to be able to stay with the team. And that's a positive, of course, that teams are taking it seriously like that. But really, just I know if you're a 20-something major league player, you're programmed to go out on the weekend, but just wait a little while. And these are not very young kids. Like, you know, they're 25 and 29, right? Their prefrontal cortexes are fully formed. So I think they're pretty accountable for these decisions. And and Adam Pletko had some pretty strong words for them and talked about how they have to earn back the team's trust and we shall see if they do that. I just, I would be the perfect quarantine mate, I think. Like, you need someone to throw 95. I can't help you, but you want someone you can trust to stay inside on a Saturday night? Call me. I am your guy. No kidding. Like, I, <laughs> when, uh, at the very beginning of this, and obviously, like, I, getting my wishes is turned into uh, something really terrible. But, like, when, they said, all right, your patriotic duty is to not leave your home for two weeks. I was yeah. like, yes, I this am I can good do. With that. Yeah. Sign me up. Like, I don't <laughs> know if I can go this. fight a war, but this is a way I can, you know, defend the <laughs> exactly. defend the country. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned tightening restrictions. Uh, one thing that's starting to, to be floated is the idea of an actual bubble come playoff time. And I know mm-hmm. I've botched every segue so far this season, but what do you think about that one? That was that one worked, good, right? Yeah, that worked for me. So uh you wanted to talk about uh, the Jason Stark article in The Athletic about what a playoff bubble might look like. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing this. I don't know if you watched the six or the the five overtime uh, playoff hockey game yesterday, uh, but this is it seems to be working in soccer and hockey. And, uh, you know, we'll see about basketball as the, the season goes on. Um, you know, I, I think that there's. Any team that continues to travel, is, or any team, any sport that continues to travel as much as baseball has, is sort of uh, playing on borrowed time. So mm-hmm. once you get to a situation where uh, you know a tournament, a small focused um, group of teams, a, a finite period of time, that's when the bubble starts to become feasible, I think. Yeah, and I think it it will when playoff time rolls around, even though you're going to have more than half the teams in the playoffs this year, it's still much more manageable. I think baseball is at a disadvantage relative to those other sports in that it's just too many players and too many games to have actually contained them within the bubble. So now I think when the playoff when the playoffs start, it should be more doable. And so I think you'd need, it sounds like from Stark's reporting, and he's been talking to people in the game about this, that you'd need at least three parks in close proximity. And so that limits your options. You still have several options, but it seems like the best candidate would be Southern California because you've got Dodger Stadium, you've got Angel Stadium, you've got Petco Park all pretty close to each other, and it's California, so you can probably count on pretty good weather. So that seems like the best candidate to me, and some of the others Stark mentioned. You could have teams in the two Chicago parks and Milwaukee. There are a couple other options, but really they all seem subpar compared to the California options. So I think it makes a lot of sense. As Stark mentioned, there is one complication in that in the first round, you'd have to have eight games on the same day just because there are so many playoff teams now. And so one bubble might not be enough for eight games on the same day. So you might have to have multiple bubbles, at least for that brief period at the beginning of the playoffs. But after that, I think it gets more manageable. And really, I I would hate to have a neutral site playoffs in a regular season. I mean, I know it can be done. It's done in the NFL, but the Super Bowl is different from the World Series for a number of reasons. And I think you'd really be sacrificing a lot if your fans couldn't go to the games. But fans can't go to the games now regardless. So 
Yes, it would be a bit of a bummer, I suppose, not to see your team play in the park where you're used to seeing them play. But really, if no one's in the park anyway, I just don't know that it matters all that much. And Jason mentioned that it takes away home field advantage. And so the odds of one of the really good teams getting bounced in that wild card round, which are already pretty high, are in theory even higher here if you take away home field advantage. But we don't even know if anyone has home field advantage under these circumstances. So to me, it seems like a a pretty easy call to do this if you can work out the logistics. Yeah, you mentioned home field advantage. Just going back to the hockey example, the two teams that hosted the the Eastern and Western Conference bubbles both lost in the first round in in the NHL. So we'll Mm -hmm. see, you know, how much of uh, an advantage that is in baseball. I think that so... This brings to mind the uh, conference tournament kind of format in college baseball. This is going to shock you that I'm bringing it back to college baseball, but anything more than three games a day, like I've been to, like I covered the the Big Ten tournament in 2015 in Target Field, and you get there, like first pitch for the first game is at 9 a.m. local time. And you're not getting done with like there was one one night where we played four games and I got back to my hotel at 3 a.m. And so that's four games a day, which is possible, but you have to do it literally all day. And I, you know, I don't I think that's something that MLB would probably want to avoid. So I think you need at least two sites, maybe three in the first uh, couple rounds of the of the playoffs. And, yeah. you know, maybe it's a, a situation where you have an American League bubble and a National League bubble and you bring them together for the, the World Series. That makes sense. You know, that makes sense to me. I don't really anything but Southern California uh, doesn't make a whole lot of, of sense in terms of um, in terms of getting parks close together if you need a major league park. The other thing you mentioned, because you need you need either good weather or you need a dome because we've seen playoff games in Chicago. You know, there was a mid Atlantic bubble that you could either do the two New York parks in Philly or Philly, DC, Baltimore. And all those, you know, Philly, DC, Baltimore, everything's within a three hour radius, but we've seen playoff games in in those cities just turn into like ice storms uh, at the end of, of October. And I just don't, I don't think you want to tempt fate with that. And, you know, there's dome in Milwaukee, but both of the Chicago parks are open air. So I just think, you know, it makes sense to, to try to put them in a, uh, a place where the weather's a little bit more favorable. And it, you know, Stark mentioned Texas, but the, like, I don't know if you want to travel to Texas at this point in time. And that's assuming that you could get the old globe life field, MLB ready. And then Houston and Dallas are more Not than three hours anymore. Apart. Just a, a minor problem with that. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I don't know. Well, this is uh, Levi Weaver, friend of the show. Rangers beat writer mentioned that they've transitioned it to, was it football or, or, or lacrosse? Yes, I, Some- I think so. It was uh, XFL, I think, and also soccer. It's gone through a, a couple of incarnations. Some, yeah, some long skinny field sport. But the he said the the left field wall is now 250 feet from home plate, and he said you can't you know how could you justify putting a team there? And my response was how could you justify not putting a team <laughs> yeah. there? Like yeah, but maybe you don't want to screw around with that for the World Series. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think you have to have some kind of protection because there's just no time to play with at that point. If someone tests positive, if you get some kind of cardinal situation then you're just done. I mean, there's no time to make anything up. You wouldn't want to play into November. So really, you have to put in place any safeguards that you can at that point because there's just no leeway to play with in the playoff schedule, really. And that's even a problem as it is if there are no hiccups in the testing there's a very brief break between the end of the regular season and the start of the postseason. So in theory, there's not really even enough time to quarantine the players in the bubble before the playoffs begin. So you'd have to figure out something there and maybe have them isolate on the road or have a couple of those teams play each other. There are ways around that, but that's a complication too. It's just that time is tight. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed 
Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Yeah, speaking, so time is tight, a little tight for us, so we're going to jump straight. There's a for you. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm on a hot streak for you. Yeah. That, thanks for the assist. So we're going to go to the unnamed playoff odds segment and wrap up the show that way. Uh, lots of big movers. Uh, one that I sort of went through this whole thing. I didn't know that this was going to uh, overlap with one of Zach's takes, but the Tigers are up 16.9% in the past seven days. I'm all in. Let's let's put the Tigers <laughs> in the playoffs. Yeah, I'd like to see the Tigers in the playoffs. And there is, of course, an increased call for call-ups, right, for yes. Casey Mize. And that's something people have been beating that drum since before the season started. And it seemed somewhat improbable then. But now that they're off to this pretty good start and have a semi-realistic chance, I think it's an easier case to make. So it would be fun for Tigers fans to get to see them. And whether it's Manning, Mize, whatever top prospects are called up and to have a little respite in the middle of a rebuild. I, I Hopefully they're closer to the end of the rebuild than the beginning. But still, I think to have a little interlude where they're actually a competitive team and you get to see some top prospects strut their stuff, that would be pretty fun. So I think the odds are still against them, but I'd like to see the Tigers do whatever they can to enhance those odds. Yeah, maybe the way I should put it is I don't care that much whether the Tigers actually make the playoffs. I want to, I want to see Mize Manning and maybe even Scooble and Torkelson mm-hmm. up in the majors as soon as possible. So if that's what, and what I'll say, like, I was saying this about Nate Pearson with the Blue Jays is it like this is the year to say, screw it, let's go all in. Because if you, you know, the the Tigers are up to a nine and six start, they're in it a quarter of the way through the season. Or you look at it with 40, 45 games to go, like they might not get another better shot at the Twins, given the weirdness of the season for the next several years, you know, so why not just push all your chips in right now? I'm not saying like, you know, make a crazy trade, but bring the guys up. Let's just see what happens. You know, what's the worst that could happen? You miss the playoffs. Like that's <laughs> what's happened to them every year for the, for the past, what, like five years. So yeah, there's no time, time like a present. That's the worst that can happen. But yes, I think the Tigers are semi-exciting right now, more so than I would have expected. And then the next biggest mover is in the opposite direction. It's the White Sox. It's just the, the yin and yang of two teams in the same division. One goes up, another another must go down, and that's what's happened with the White Sox this week. They got chewed out a little bit by Dallas Keuchel, who questioned the effort of some players on the team. So White Sox are still fun. They still have maybe the, the highest percentage of really fun players that I'm excited to see on a non-great team for 2020. So I'm still holding out hope there, but it was not a great week for them. The biggest mover in either direction is actually the Astros, who went down almost 18 percentage points this week. So evidently, the projections think Alex Centrone is a very valuable batting coach, but I don't think that's actually it. I think it's that they're 7-10, and 10 and they just lost a 10-inning game to the Giants on Tuesday, and they're banged up about as much as any team is, and that's kind of been the case for them all season. So that game they lost to the Giants was a, a bullpen effort that lost it for them, and that's been a big problem for them all year. If you go by XFIP, which you should because it's fun to say, only the Marlins and the Mariners and the Giants have had worse performing pens thus far. and. Really, that's because it's the second stringers. I mean, it's guys that they've brought up because a lot of their first string bullpen arms are down and you don't have Davinsky and you don't have Osuna and you don't have Biagini and you still don't have Jordan Alvarez and Jose Urquidy. And it sounds like Justin Verlander is not really making any progress and maybe you can just kind of write him off at this point. So they're supposed to get Alvarez back soon. Urquidy will be a bit behind him, so that helps. But really, the the depth was not what it was to start the season, and it has been sorely tested, literally sorely, in many of these players' cases. Yeah, this was the the focus of my column today. Just it's weird to see them drop like a start. And I, you know, I think we should give the 
the A's credit for for yeah. playing as well as they have out of the out of the gate. Like a lot of this is is Oakland. I mean, even directly, like Oakland taking three games over the weekend is the reason that this swung and the the division odds swung more than twenty percent over the past week too. And I think that's mm-hmm. that might be more uh, instructive than just the sheer playoff odds because I think it, it's you know the conclusion I came to is pretty much what you said that these are not big league quality pitchers they're throwing out there. And it's sort of weird to think that about a team that had one of, you know, had Garrett Cole plus two Cy Young winners in their, their rotation last year. You know, like last spring I wrote about how the Astros have more good starting pitchers than they can use. And all of a sudden all those pitchers have either departed via free agency or they've gotten hurt Mm -hmm. or in Josh James's case, forgotten how to throw strikes. And you know, it's, it's they've got James Presley and a bunch of rookies that like not even rookies. Like a lot of these guys are people that nobody's ever heard of these, you know, right. you know, this is not Forrest Whitley coming up, you know, Literally some of these named scrub. Yes. Uh, that's, <laughs> I, I think that's a little, a little too easy, Ben. but yes, it's true. So the, the problem is, and, and it's, it's just all these losses concentrated. It's not just, they they've lost, that many quality players it's they've lost them off of the same unit and so they're digging farther into their replacement level or worse guys in the upper minors are on the the taxi squad now and it's all of these losses are, are taking place in a part of the game that has maximum leverage like the the stat that i come back to this has actually gotten worse since i filed my column they, their bullpen is dead last and win probability added and it's a combination of rookies who either aren't ready or aren't talented, talented enough, or they're putting James and Presley in these situations and they just can't get anybody out. And that's, you know, that's a problem in and of itself. Um, now, am I panicking about the Astros? No, not not at all. I still that's what I was going to ask, because their division odds are down to one in five right now, but they're still basically three and four to make the playoffs in theory, accounting for these injuries. But who knows, really? Yeah. According to to your old boss Nate Silver, the Astros are you ready for um, <laughs> the Astros are more likely to make the playoffs than Joe Biden is to become president. So, uh, yay! <laughs> so anyway, I, I think it's but it, it's at a point where I still fully expect the Astros to make the playoffs, but it would. I am seriously considering the possibility that they wouldn't. I think that 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 is now a legitimate possibility in a, in a way it wasn't two weeks ago or even a week ago. Um, mm-hmm. And just yeah, you know, was looking, tr- trying to talk me into the Astros as the flop team when we were doing our preseason predictions based on the lack of depth, and I thought about it, but at that point, Verlander was fine as far as we knew, and I thought, well, Verlander's healthy, they'll be okay, but now he's not, and maybe they won't be okay, but. I'm with you. I I think the odds are still in their favor as bad as it's been. All right. Uh, That seems like a good place to end. Thanks for for joining me, Ben. Thanks for for walking through the bubble and and all this other stuff. Uh, And we'll talk again next week. My pleasure. That will just about do it for this week's edition of the Ringer MLB show. Thanks as always to Zach and Ben for joining me. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's episode. Thanks to Fernando Tatis Jr., Spencer Turnbull, and Domingo Santana for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time.